Gracefully Chosen Community and welcome to Foster My Stories, the achievement-focused podcast for foster care, adoption, orphan, inclusive of underserved communities. I'm your host, Shalina Michelle Tate, and on today's cast episode, I would like for you to get to know my first guest for the new year, Sensei David Armstrong. How are you doing today, Mr. Armstrong? Life is absolutely perfect. How about yourself? I am doing well, super excited to be here uh, for listeners to get to know who you are and what you do. Um, could you kind of give our listeners just a briefing on your background, your upbringing? Absolutely. So, yeah, before I get into that, I want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm here to, to share my story, inspiration, motivation for them, not for me. So, uh, as I'm telling stories, as I'm speaking, as I'm reflecting, I'm going to try to extract and pull out things that people can actually take away from it to make their lives a little bit better or a little easier, because I, I'm not of the notion that you have to go through hell in order to learn things, right? You don't have to, you don't have to learn by trial and fire. You can, you can actually learn from others' mistakes or others' uh, successes, right? So that's kind of the premise. That's what I do on all the podcasts that I've been on is try to make sure that I extract some things from my personal life as well as knowledge and and things that I've overcome to bless others to be able to not have to do or go through what I have. So with that said, yeah, I, I grew up in juvenile detention, foster care, uh, group homes, uh, boys camps. My first arrest was actually when I was 11 years old for armed robbery. So that was my destiny. And I talk a lot about destiny in changing what your destiny is, because a lot of us are just born, right? All of us are just born. A lot of us are just born into environments that aren't really conducive to success, right? And so that was what my environment was. My mom, unfortunately, was an alcoholic she married a guy my real biological father was never in the picture she married a a guy that was physically and mentally abusive to her and myself for a few years and most of us youth that go through situations like that end up in a couple places and neither one of those places are are success driven places right So, um, yeah, so, so that's pretty much it. I, gr I grew up in a, in kind of a, a, a bad environment that did not allow most of us to think of success as 24 years in the Air Force, martial arts schools all over the world, uh, retired in your 40s in Greece, but it was it, it, it was really a long road between that and where I am now. Yes, and um, thank you for being so transparent and giving a mm. snippet of your upbringing. I know uh, for a lot of people, it's kind of hard to talk about their past, their upbringing, but I thank you for being transparent because, you know, the youth of the day, especially male youth, um, definitely need to um, be able to listen to testimonies such as yours. 
I know you've written a lot about it in your book. We'll get to that soon. Um, <laughs> but yes, you're, um, could you kind of go a little bit further into how the incident with the armed robbery, how did that lead into your destiny? What was that turning point for you? Um, so, so I was 11 years old. I decided that I was going to rob somebody at gunpoint and, uh, I did rob her and it ended up getting cut. And I actually didn't go to juvenile detention for a prolonged period of time after that. I think it was maybe six months or something like that. And then I was put back into my biological mom's care, but that that environment, you know, gangs, I was, I was a, in a gang, I was a crip, uh, you know, I ran the streets, that environment doesn't, doesn't show what success is, and certainly doesn't show how hard it is to succeed. And so a lot of young men and young women are traumatized by their destiny right where they were just born and we had no agency over that neither neither one of us chose to be born where we were born or to whom we were born to right so we're just thrown into this environment that happens to be uh i'll say hell on earth right just a, a just a bad environment. No one chose to be abused. No one chose to be taken away from their mom or their dad and placed into foster home after foster home after foster home or group home after group home after group home. But here we are. And so what are you going to do if you're listening to this podcast? What and, and you're a young, young person, you're a youth in the foster care system, what are you going to do? right? What are you going to do for your future? Because I was the type of kid that wouldn't let anyone get near me. I, I had plenty of foster parents and people that worked at, you know, the staff at group homes and, and uh, boys camps that tried to connect with me. And I didn't allow that. I said, no, I, I don't want anything to do with you. And it was mainly because a lot of us don't understand what love is, what that looks like, right? If you were never loved, if you were never cared about, then how in the world are you going to identify that when another adult comes into your life that does care about you, that does love you, that does want to see you succeed? You've never been shown that. So... Um, so yeah, I was I was in a boys camp when I was 12 and that's when my mom actually died. So I was sentenced to a boys camp for 2 years and I remember being in school and I don't know if you remember when they call you into the office at or you know from the office at school they come over the intercom and they go Mrs. so and so Mr. so and so send David Armstrong or Mr. Armstrong to the front office. And then all the kids look at you. Yeah. Ooh, Dave's in trouble, right? And so that's what happened. The, the intercom came on, send Dave to the front office, and I gathered my things. I went over to the front office thinking that I was in trouble. And the secretary there in the front office says, have a seat. Your social worker's coming to pick you up. Yeah. I said, oh, man, 
I'm in big trouble. What did I do? Ah, and I was always getting into trouble. I was always doing something. And I thought, well, I guess it's time that they're going to put me in a different boys camp or they just couldn't control me, you know, at this one. So they're going to take me somewhere else. And I had been used to it by now. So here comes Deborah Bowser, my social worker, walking and the, the face that she had on just kind of this look, this grim look. And I said, oh my goodness. And it didn't feel like you're in trouble look. It felt like the world is about to come crashing down on you look. And so when Deborah came up to me, she says, Dave, your mom is in the hospital and she's not okay. They don't expect her to be okay. And I said, what? I had just seen my mom. I went on a home pass that weekend and she said, uh, so we're going to go out there to the hospital and see her. And it was about an hour's long drive from where the boys camp and, and school was to where my mom was. And that drive felt so empty. You know, like the whole weight of the world just sitting on your shoulders. And there's nothing worse than knowing that something good is not at the other end of the tunnel, but you can't even see what is at the end of the tunnel that's bad, right? You can't even see it. You don't even know. And so there we get to the hospital, Deborah and I, and we walk into the room that my mom's in and almost instantly her eyes start rolling in the back of her head. She starts going into convulsions and the staff come in, shoo us out and they're, they're doing stuff to her. And this whole scene, like, like it was out of the movies. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Even though she wasn't the best mom in the world, she was the only thing that I had. And I had no other family. I, I you know, no one else. And so I thought, wow, if, if she's gone, who do I have? What do I have? And indeed, shortly after that, she passed away. And I remember just feeling so empty, void of any emotion, good, bad, or ugly. And this emptiness just seemed to consume me. It just seemed to, to be all over me and it wouldn't let up. It wouldn't go away. And at that time, I thought, well, I should just end my life. I mean, what, what good is life if I have absolutely nothing? And that's what happens when people decide to commit suicide is they, they have nothing to live for, they think, right? They have, they have that feeling of, well, why bother going on? And so there I was uh, on a rainy day. In the afternoon, I had skipped school, ran away from the boys' camp, sitting under a bridge, and just feeling like the entire world was sitting on top of me. And there was nothing at the end of that tunnel that I could see. So I broke open a, a bottle, a beer bottle or some sort of bottle, and I start cutting at my wrists. And I'll remember that I really didn't want to be here. I didn't, I didn't feel like there was any reason to live. And I remember 
not being able to die and feeling like, man, I can't even kill myself. I can't even, I can't even do that right. And so, so I went back to the boys camp, they bandaged me up, put me on suicide watch, put me on a bunch of antidepressant pills. And, um, and then that started my journey in foster care and in group homes and stuff after the two years at the boys camp. Despite how everything happened, that's a, a place of maturity to understand that despite, you know, her not being, like you say, the best mom, she was all you had and that then propelled you into a process of you know asking real questions what else do I have to live for was there a turning point in that two-year process that started to turn around for you because of course that was a healing process I imagine for you Mm, yeah so I was about 14 13 14 years old when I got placed in the first boys home out I guess a couple of different group homes a couple of different foster homes and you know the it's hard to to take care of a rebellious teenager that doesn't care about anyone and has nothing to live for but I ended up landing in a group home that my martial arts instructor was a psychologist at Sensei Otto Johnson and he had this little martial arts program that he would take the kids out in the backyard that we're doing good, you know, that we're getting good grades, going to school, not, not getting into trouble and wanted to do this little karate thing. And, and I thought it was just a bunch of crap. You know, mm-hmm. I thought, ah, I know, I already know how to fight. I could beat all these kids up. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need this. Yeah. But, but one day I decided that I was going to leave the house in the evening or at night and Sensei Otto happened to be there, and he says, where where do you think you're going? And I said, I'm leaving. I'll be back. And he (laughs) says, no. And he stood in front of the door. He says, you're not leaving. And I was a pretty smart kid, and I knew that you couldn't touch staff, right? So if you touch staff, they get to touch you back. (laughs) I didn't want to be touched by Sensei Otto because he's 6'10", 300 and something pounds, and a martial artist. This guy was huge. And I said, well, okay, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with this dude. Even though I was a big kid, he was much bigger than me. But for some reason, for some reason, I tried to push him out and from in front of the door. Wasn't letting me leave. And I touched staff and boy, did he touch me back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He did some whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> here I am screaming and crying and talking about cuz I'm gonna get my homies to kill you. But I was in my room and I didn't dare open the door. Yeah. <laughs> I shouted all that from the inside of the room. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Oh, so Shalita, look. After that, I had some profound respect for this guy because, look, I was a violent kid. All I knew was violence, right? So for some reason, his violence restraining me toward me resonated with me. It made me go, wow, I kind of respect this dude. He's kind of a badass, right? 
<laughs> he is wee. And, and to top that off, look, now I wanted to learn this stuff that he could do because he just, he just, wah, 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 and that was it, right? It was effortless. I said, oh, I want to learn how to do that. And in order for me to learn how to do that, I had to be good and get good grades and start. So that was the first turning point for me. But I'll tell, I'll tell, I'll tell you and everyone listening right now, especially our youth, the turning point is a continuum. It never stops. It never stops. You should be growing and expanding and trying to see things and be someone that you weren't yesterday. You didn't see yesterday, right? Every day should be like this. You should be on a mission to grow. Whatever areas you possibly can, you should grow and grow and grow. There's an endless amount of knowledge in this universe, an endless amount. And so the people that you hear about that are highly successful, all of them have the one thing in common, their seek of knowledge, right? Their desire to just do something different, learn, grow, fail, fail again, fail again. I love to fail. That means that I get to learn, right? That means I get to get better. And so although failing never feels good, you can frame it in any way you want. You can go, failing makes me feel bad and I don't want to do it anymore, right? Or you can go, failing doesn't feel good, but boy, I get to learn now. And so I got really good at martial arts, really good. And we, we ended up, by the time I was 17, 18, uh, I, we were touring around the United States in different tournaments. And I was sweeping martial arts tournaments, sweeping, sweeping. And guess what that did? Gave me confidence, right? Gave me confidence. It taught me discipline. Wow. Wow. Huge, huge, momentous thing right there, right? I think it's amazing how that incident with uh, the sensei um, was your turning point (laughs) to realize that now I have a a new profound respect for someone, authority, and it it took me back um, to the point of, man, I want to, I want to learn that. And Wow, it's just amazing how it just you just took off with it and just <laughs> really. And um, listeners, I want to piggyback off of what Sensei um, Armstrong is saying. Martial arts is, is dynamic. Um, I had a chance to briefly be involved with Taekwondo and and karate. Um, I did Taekwondo when I was a youth. I was in a foster home. Um, the difference with me was I was very uh, self-conscious. I didn't stand up for myself. I, really, I just got ran over. And the foster mother that I was staying with, um, she gave me a choice to take dance or taekwondo. Well, I wanted to mm. do dance, but she told me, try taekwondo. And because I did, I saw my confidence boost. I became more focused in my studies. I It just did like a a 360 on me so listeners if you have youth out there sons you know or someone you know your family that's kind of struggling consider consider and I'm gonna let say Armstrong go more into it consider the benefits of possibly taekwondo not to beat somebody else up but to um, gain 
self-confidence and a focus. Could you could you tell listeners the benefits of possibly getting into martial arts? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a quick funny story. So uh, in Colorado, I was the vice president of the board of directors for a nonprofit there that had transitional housing for at-risk youth, kids coming out of juvenile detention, foster homes and group homes. And I wanted to create a martial arts mentoring program that uh, was contracted by the state so I can bring young kids, young men and women, actually young men, it was for, for boys only, but young men into the martial arts school so I can teach them the things that I learned through martial arts, like discipline and self-confidence and restraint. And um, imagine, and I'm a big guy, I'm 230 pounds, six foot, and imagine this big guy comes to the board of directors uh, for the for the county and says, hey, I want to take kids in jail and juvenile detention and bring them to my karate school to teach them how to fight. <laughs> they said, look, Dave, said, say, Dave, we love what you're doing for the community and, and who you are, but that's just not happening. I said, wait, 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 look, 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 look. And luckily, luckily, I convinced them that it was a good idea. And it was a, a tremendous success. A lot of kids, young men, still to this day, reach out to me and say thank you. And we had a lot of success stories coming out of the dojo, out of the martial arts mentoring program. So, yeah. So, look, discipline, confidence, the ability to succeed and fail and having a mentor and that's the biggest key is having an instructor that's there that is a mentor for these young people i've had the privilege of mentoring and teaching thousands of kids and you can see the difference from when they first step into the dojo and when they leave or in in six months in one year in five years right a profound difference and it gives them so so much so i would i would advise martial arts to anyone but i i let me caveat that a little bit and i talk a lot in my speeches and with the parents and mentors that i work with as a coach that you should be exploring with your youth the things that he or she is interested in. Not the things that they know that they're interested in only, but exploring new things that maybe resonates with them and they can develop and and get great at and build self-confidence or, you know, end up making millions of dollars and pursuing a beautiful life because they were exposed to the drums or to a guitar or to piano or to dance or to martial arts, right? And so I think a lot of us parents and especially mentors and volunteers working with youth don't seek to expose our youth to a lot of things a lot of things like they should be exposed to 
everything under the sun. And it's okay to say, I don't like it. Martial arts is not for everyone, right? I, <laughs> when I started teaching MMA, I used to have a lot of soldiers from the base there, from the, from the army base come over and they want to learn MMA. And I go, MMA, mixed, MMA is mixed martial arts. That's cage fighting, right? For anybody that doesn't know. And this UFC stuff. And it, it you know, started getting popular and people wanted to do it. And I said, look, you could join, but it, you're going to get hit. Yeah. You're going to get hit hard. Yeah. Or you can get choked out. And it's not going to feel good when you wake up. You, you're going to be disoriented. You're going to be running around. What is going on? And I lost a lot of first-time students, right? <laughs> because people don't realize how much it hurts to get hit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not for everyone. You know, when you took Taekwondo, you got kicked sometimes. And it did yeah. not feel good. And it's not for everyone. That's okay. But the key is to be able to expose your youth to a variety of things so they can figure out what they enjoy. And I don't believe that people just have one thing that they're great at. I think greatness is developed, right? You may be an interested in a bunch of stuff, but guess what? I've been able to be great at a lot of things in my 47 years. But I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of things that I have not been great at. And there's a lot of things that I haven't even tried, right? Yeah. I've never done skydiving. Oh, I don't yeah. like to ski. I don't like the code, but I don't know if I'm good at it. I don't yeah. know if it's something that even resonates with me because I, I've never done it. So yeah. I can't say no. I, I can only say I don't know. And that's okay. <laughs> I, I just love how you're just saying how people just came to you wanting to do MMA and uh, you, you're just honest, like, hey, you go get hit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lost a lot of first-time customers because they got hit. Yeah. <laughs> Reality yeah. check of the century. Um, so, you know, that's cool. And then, and that's, but that's also transparent, like, that goes into how we approach the youth and, and be transparent with them. Hey, you could, you know, try to find things that, you know, you resonate with. I like how you said how us as, you know, well, I'm not a parent, but me as a developing uh, leader and business owner wanting to help the youth, you know, that's important to help them find and really encourage them to um, find the things they resonate with. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, you never know, there, there may stuff you've never tried and you're good at and vice versa um could you tell listeners about your one mill nonprofit that assists the men and that are wards of the state because that's going into emancipation and my center right for foster care yeah yeah so no so this this was um a nonprofit that i was on the board of directors for i was the vice president of the board of directors for so that's the one that i had alluded to and mentioned earlier Okay. And so, yeah, so I'm not part of that nonprofit anymore. After I, I decided to move to Greece, I had to resign off the, the, the board from the board there. And uh, now I do the only nonprofit per se that I have is the Mentoring and Parenting Teen Summit that I hold every quarter. And we have some amazing speakers and teachers during those summits. I'll, I'll tell you, you'll have to Anyone listening to this, you have to go to www.summit, 
S-U-M-M-I-T events, E-V-E-N-T-S dot world, summit events dot world and look for the next summit because these are amazing. The, the, the diversity that we're able to bring on for these summits and the experience and stories are just, wow, you know, wow. You can't leave one of these two hour, two and a half hour summits and not take something or a lot of things away from it. So I would encourage everyone to go out and uh, and join us for the next summit. I want you to please support Sensei Armstrong. Could you tell our listeners about this dynamic book that you wrote? Um, <laughs> and I know it, you've already touched on a lot of it in your upbringing. Can you tell listeners about your book? Yeah. So look, I after I retired in 2017 and moved to Greece, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a, a plan of what I was going to do after I retired. So I couldn't teach martial arts anymore. And, and not just because I wasn't in the, in the United States, but I actually uh, suffered a broken spine. So now I have five screws and two rods in my lower back and my S1 through L4. And mm-hmm. so that kept me from being able to be as active and teach and do things physically like I used to be able to do. And I said, you know, what else, what else, what else, what else? And I couldn't, I couldn't just give up doing things. I, I, I I had the privilege of making an impact into people's lives and I, I couldn't stop doing that. So I decided to write an autobiography, which I'm going to read a very small piece of this right now. So in, in the book, it's a very, it's a short book. It's only a hundred and something pages and it's gotten amazing reviews and it's, it's being sold on Amazon and Walmart and Barnes and Noble and on my website. So the book website is whyme.world. So www.whyme.world. But I wrote the book because I wanted to share my experiences with others again, so they don't have to. You don't have to go through stuff to learn from others, right? That's the beauty of books. That's the beauty of knowledge sharing. That's the beauty of, of these podcasts and people coming on and telling stories and telling uh, experiences so you can learn from them, good, bad, and ugly, right? So I wanted, I wanted to write this book for that and to also encourage young people that are in the system to, 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 to do, right? To be able to have some sort of hope. Because I know I didn't have hope. I didn't have hope for my future. I didn't see, there was, most of my youth was hopeless. Most of my youth, I couldn't see a future beyond being a drug dealer or actually I aspired to be a hitman when I was a kid. No joke that I thought that's what I was going to do. And I can't tell you how many times I've been told I'd be dead or in jail, right? That was my future, dead or in jail, dead or in prison. And so I, I wrote the book to give some hope to some young people, because obviously <clears throat> it, it takes a lot to be able to serve 24 years in the military, own three martial arts schools, serve thousands of youth, teach thousands of kids, and then end up retiring in your 40s in Greece, 
right? Yeah. I would call that a success story. Yeah. And I never saw success stories or, or very seldomly did I when I was a kid. And so hopefully the youth that reads the book can draw some inspiration from the things that I share in here. And one of the things that I share, I have these pieces of knowledge, right? These just little tidbits of knowledge throughout different chapters of the book. And here's one piece of knowledge for people that are working with kids. Apathy. Wow. Apathy is a horrible and dangerous mindset. It's worse than being or feeling negative. When you're apathetic, you don't care at all. It sets your mindset and emotions at zero. You get stuck in a very dark and lonely place and don't actually care. Another day is just another day. If you're working with someone that seems apathetic, the one most significant thing that you can do for him or her is to give them reasons to wake up, reasons to engage, and reasons to live. Yes. Yeah, yes. I'm saying a thousand yeses. That is so true, especially with the foster adopted orphan and underserved communities. We hear every day um, the negativity, the stereotypes, the mm. what they can't do. But you're so right of apathy and, and just being able to recognize that and it's everywhere we go, especially now. And for somebody to be able to pour into um, the youth and really anyone, letting them know that they can make it. I like your quote that you, you said earlier um, in this work, this paperwork, you, and I'm quoting what you're saying, knowing that you can, um, one doesn't have to be part of the 97% that don't do well after coming out of the system, that you can graduate from college, you can do big things, you can make your past serve you and not starve you. And when I read that, I was like, that is it right there. And I think sharing, sharing that reminder. A lot of times we do need reminders, you know, with everything going on. And so I appreciate you. I appreciate that book snippet you just read. And listeners, please go support him in this book. And they can get your book on your website, right? Yeah, absolutely. Go to whyme.world. Whyme is the name of the book.world. You can grab the book there if you want an autographed copy of the book. I will autograph a copy of, of the book and send it to you from beautiful Greece. Just okay. shoot me an email at info at upna.net. And I it, it shoot me an email anyways. Just say hi, say, you know, hey, this podcast uh, changed my life or hey, this podcast sucked. I don't care. I just want you to engage. <laughs> No, I'm sure, I'm sure the latter is never going to happen, but still it's, it's, it's always good to, to be able to engage. And sometimes I'll have uh, some random people uh, shoot me an email and, and say good, bad, or ugly, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the book, I think, you know, the book is, is, has been selling and has some great reviews out on Amazon. And um, I just hope that it continues to, to impact someone's life, you know, that's all that, that, that's all I can hope for is that someone reads this book and says, you know what, 
that makes sense. And I'm going to apply that. Or, you know what, I, I can do something with my life, even though uh, my destiny was X, Y, and Z, I can change that, you know? And so hopefully I can, I can provide that inspiration. via um, your martial arts um, training school and um, projects, other projects you may be working on. Um, before we go, um, could you tell listeners, you know, um, is, is there any advice you would have, whether the listener may be a youth or, I know you gave some nuggets earlier, but any words of wisdom that you would like to leave uh, potential foster parents or youth or anyone listening? <clears throat> yeah, so I'll divide, I'll, I'll give two nuggets of advice here, one for youth and one for people that are working with youth. And this goes to any young person, not, not just youth in the foster care system or in detention, in group homes, in boys' homes, but anyone, anyone young. Um, oftentimes you feel like people don't understand you. And okay your parents, your mentors, the, the adults around you usually are coming from a good place. They, they forgot what it was like to be a teenager or to be a preteen. And this happens because we're owed. <laughs> no, this happens, unfortunately, but we forget that we went through similar situations, that we took a breakup really hard, that we wanted to ditch school, that we were feeling like our peers were pressuring us to do drugs or to go here or to uh, jump out the window to go to a party at 12 at night. These things happen with your parents or your mentors. I guarantee it. They just forgot. So sometimes they don't know how to react and they don't know how to connect with you on the level that they need to connect with you at. And that's what I do. I, I help parents and mentors be able to connect with their youth, right? Or the youth that they're serving in a more profound way. And for some reason, maybe because I'm still 17 in my mind, um, I haven't forgotten what it was like to be a young person to be a teenager. So that's to the youth. Understand that they probably are coming from a good place in their heart. They care, they're trying, and they just haven't connected with Sensei Dave. <laughs> so that's to the youth. Now to the to the parents and to the mentors, I'll reiterate providing your youth with a myriad of things, just a plethora of things to try and do and be there for them when they fail, be there for them when they succeed. Don't hand them a participation trophy because they didn't earn it. Because I'll tell you, everyone likes to earn their success. The end. Everyone likes to earn their success. So don't water it down. 
it's okay to fail because you can learn from your failure. And so teach them when they're trying new things, when they're not good at it, that they can be good if they want to. And look, there's plenty of things that you don't need to be good at because you just don't want to be good at it. Don't pressure someone, your youth or the youth that that you're mentoring into being someone or something that they don't desire to be. Creating the intrinsic desire, intrinsic motivation for them to do something, to succeed at something, to try at something is the key. Yes. Thank you for those golden nuggets. You have been dropping golden nuggets the whole time. So I appreciate that. And that is so true. I piggyback off that saying, yes, yes, mentors, inspiring mentors, and just parents. Um, that is definitely words of wisdom. Uh, I've talked to some youth who um, they're kind of miserable um, because their parent put them in something and that's just not where their heart is. And Mm. just listening to the youths and and just finding out where they are, I I believe that could help with communication and also uh, putting them in something that they will at least try or make the effort if there's a communication there. Um, Sensei uh, Armstrong, so appreciative of you being here on Foster My Stories and just taking time out of your schedule. Um, Listeners, you know, by the time you hear this this recording, he spoke earlier about his summit, but we're going to keep posting his future summit so you can be a part of. And um, thank you so much for being here with Foster My Stories, Sensei. And um, if your upbringing, community service, or job connects you to the foster adoption, orphan or underserved communities, I would love to have you on the podcast. You can um, send a request, a guest request over to info at fostermystory.com. That's Frank Mary and story with an I, not a Y, dot com, and check out the full site as well. Make sure to tune in Wednesdays at the new official time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard, via the following platforms, Red Circle Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Audible, Amazon Music, Radio Public, or at Google Podcast. There, you can catch missed episodes or stay connected for upcoming guests and content. So please remember to tell someone you know that being fostered, adopted, orphaned, or underserved simply means they're gracefully chosen. And thank you so much, Sensei um, Armstrong, for sharing your testimony, sharing your time, and just being here and fostering my stories. Listeners, feel free to reach out to him and reach out and remember that this is a foster this story moment.